energy. The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What is up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is exhausting today. This show today, I have no idea what's going to happen over the next hour and 15 minutes. We're on until 645, and then it's high school basketball. I have no idea what's going to happen. We might have two guests. We might have three guests. People might be moving different time slots. The only thing I know for sure is that Bill Courier is joining us at about 625. Bill Courier is the former UVM baseball coach, the last baseball coach in the history of the UVM program. He's going to be with us about 625. He's still coaching college baseball at Fairfield University in Connecticut, and they're really, really good, and their season starts soon. So Bill Courier is going to have some fun with us at the end of the show. That much I know. Tom Karen is supposed to come on with us at 545. I'm also working on Ryan Rosillo. Right. Ryan Rosillo, UVM grad, former ESPN radio host. Now he works over at the ringer, one of the biggest and, and best names in sports media. I'm working on Rosillo. He's get, he's texting me like as we go through the show, he's like, yeah, maybe 545, maybe 605. Not quite sure yet. Checking into the hotel. I think he's in Phoenix. So I have no idea when Rosillo is going to join us. And if Rosillo has to join us at 545, then I got to try to get in touch with TC and move him to 605. So I have no idea what's going to happen and when. Right. We could have. Rosillo at 545 and TC at 605. We could have Rosillo at 545 and TC says, I can't do it later. We could have both of them. I have no idea what's going to happen. Could be two guests, could be three guests. It is Super Bowl week. This is what happens on Super Bowl week. We just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. You can get it on the Napa Morris Field, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That is the Napa Morris Field. Napa Waterbury text line. You can watch the show on Facebook Live. You can watch it on YouTube Live and on my Twitter account as well. Let's get the chaos started. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So last night, it happened just before midnight. LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record in the NBA. The most points, regular season points in NBA history, surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Here come the Lakers with 25 seconds remaining in the quarter. Westbrook's got it just inside half court. Westbrook with it. Give it to LeBron at the right elbow. LeBron, one-on-one against Kenrick Williams. Backing him in. Turns. Shoots. Scores! There it is! All hail the new king in town. Young and old gather around from one iconic Laker to another. 
the king, LeBron James, has passed the captain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Last night, watching that, that was fascinating sports theater. The broadcast was, say, broadcast was saying all night it felt like a playoff game. I don't think that really felt like a playoff game. That seemed different than a playoff game to me. The anticipation every time that LeBron got the ball, the disappointment that every time someone other than LeBron took a shot. I mean, in a playoff game, at least the fans are pulling in one direction. In this game, the fans were not pulling in the Lakers direction. Everybody was pulling in the LeBron direction. Westbrook takes a shot. Nobody's happy. Anthony Davis takes a shot. Nobody's happy. They just wanted to see LeBron shoot. It was an odd but fascinating dynamic. And I've also got to say, for one night, it was just nice to have people coming together. We don't get that enough anymore. Not everyone likes LeBron. I get it. He does some cringeworthy things. He's into self-promotion too much in a way that Michael wasn't. His social media is weird. Some of you don't like that he speaks on race or on politics. Not everyone likes that. But for one night last night, all of that seemed to go away. And we could just focus on basketball. And we could just focus on the coolness of an, of an amazing accomplishment. That record had stood for 38 years and we got a chance to see history. That's pretty darn cool. And it seemed like last night, almost everybody appreciated it. Look, take all the ancillary stuff about LeBron out of the picture. The self-promotion, the social media, the political stances, the decision, all of that. Take all that outside. And just please recognize how amazing what LeBron James has done actually is. Please, I, please. For one day, appreciate how cool what LeBron has done and how cool it actually is. I mean, I get it. The game has changed. Athletes have changed and all that. But LeBron is 38 years old, and he still looks like the most physically dominant athlete on the court every time he takes it. At 38 years old, LeBron James looks like the most physically imposing presence on the court every time he takes it. When you get to be 38 years old, the goal is what? That you don't suck, right? That you don't embarrass yourself. Not only does LeBron James not suck, he's averaging 30 points per game. He looks like a semi-truck coming at you down the lane. I can't even fathom what I'm watching right now. Right, I hear the jokes as I get older. People saying, I'm oh, mid-30s, man. I get out of bed and everything hurts. LeBron James is out getting 30 a game on dudes half his age. And he is the most physically imposing person on the floor. We see what Tom Brady did. We see what Aaron Rodgers has done. We see Le what LeBron is doing. Unheard of ages, unheard of levels of performance. This is amazing. And if you don't want to like LeBron, that's your prerogative. But what he's doing is amazing. 38 years old, 30 points a game, best athlete on the floor, or at least best physical specimen on the floor, I should say. He may not jump the highest anymore. He may not run the fastest anymore. But most physically imposing presence on the floor every night, that is pretty darn amazing. And I have a question for you. And I, I want to make this very clear. 
I have absolutely no time and no desire for the GOAT debate. I do not do Jordan versus LeBron. I don't do two things in this business, Jordan versus LeBron and should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame. I don't do either of those debates. Those are low-hanging fruit. I don't. I want no part of that. So I'm not here today to talk about LeBron versus Jordan. I do have this question for you, 802-585-3026. Which story arc do you consider more impressive, Tom Brady or LeBron James? That's the debate I'm interested in having because that's the question I actually think is interesting. Which career arc do you consider to be more more interesting, to be more impressive? Tom Brady, who's the ultimate underdog story, right? Couldn't even start all four years at Michigan. Sixth round pick, pick number 199 plucked from obscurity, comes back, has two to three separate Hall of Fame careers, wins six super, uh, wins seven Super Bowls, does it in two separate organizations, wins one in his 20s, wins it in his 30s, wins it in his 40s. Is Tom Brady's out-of-nowhere arc more impressive? Or is LeBron James's arc more impressive? Where LeBron James had all the expectations, right? Tom Brady had no expectations and defied them all. LeBron James had all the expectations, hit them, and exceeded them. Which one's more impressive to you? LeBron's on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years old. His high school games are on national television. He's got immediate scrutiny from the time he's 16 years old. He gets drafted number one, gets drafted by his hometown team, revitalizes a fan base, carries the league, wins titles with three separate organizations, Multiple gold medals, wins in the bubble, and now is the all-time leading scorer in the league. I, which one's more impressive to you, out of nowhere or has expectations and hits them all? I got to say, I think it's LeBron. And it's not a runaway. It's not a blowout. But I think the LeBron James story is more impressive than the Tom Brady story. Yeah, we knew that LeBron would be good, right? He was supposed to be good. Um, LeBron was supposed to be good. We knew he was going to be good. We didn't know he was going to be this good. When you have the bar and all the pressure on you and you hit it, that's pretty something special to me. Again, not a blowout over Tom Brady. But I think that I think the LeBron story is better. I mean, he could have easily crumbled under expectations. We've seen that many times. He could have easy, easily fallen into trouble off the court. Didn't LeBron gets drafted. Number one wins a title with his hometown team. Eventually wins it with three separate organizations, gold medalist, leading scorer, great passer. I mean, He's done everything there is to do. He has done everything that there is to do. And it's better than we expected it to be. I asked Freddie Coleman this question earlier today. Freddie's online on our podcast channel. He thinks LeBron's more impressive than Brady. 
But I'm going to gravitate to the side mm-hmm. of LeBron James because I had this discussion last night with Ryan Windhorst, Tim Bontemps, and Tim McMahon, who do a great job covering the NBA, and they do a great job of the Hoop, Hoop Collective podcast. And I said, we knew or had a feeling that LeBron James was going to be great. Nobody saw it this great. And I look at any great athlete that's ever happened, Brady, in any sport. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, football, golf, et cetera. We expect somebody that will have those expectations of being great, but then it can go far beyond that. And this went far beyond that. And this is a polarizing issue. Gary says, tough call. LeBron went to the NBA right from high school and dominated. Whereas Joe says, Tom Brady hands down. He didn't leave his teams to go ring chasing. He did it with nothing. He's the ultimate underdog story. All right, easy on that. Now, Tom Brady had the greatest coach in NFL history. He had a patently easy division. Right? I did, but the question is not the question is about what's more impressive. Underdog story or guy with the expectations who hits them. I'm saying it's the other. I'm saying it's LeBron's. Tex says I'm not impressed with LeBron. He played 20-plus years. Of course, he's going to score a bunch of points. Did his team win last night? He's got four titles. He's got four finals MVPs. He's won titles with three separate organizations. He's won multiple gold medals. He's been an NBA scoring champ. He's a 19-time All-Star. I believe he's an 18-time All-NBA selection. So let's not act like LeBron is just here is just good because he's played for a long time. Tom Brady's got the most passing yards in NFL history, too. Why? He's played for a long time. So I'm less impressed with the overall point total for LeBron than I am the overall story arc. But you know what? I finally got some clarity as to what's going to happen on this show. We're going to ask a guy who knows basketball way better than me, Ryan Rossillo of The Ringer. He's going to join us next. TC, he's going to come on just after 6 o'clock. I'm getting text messages as we talk on the air here. Ryan Rossillo is going to be with us next here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, usually with us at this time on a Wednesday. TC going to join us in the 6 o'clock hour, though, about 6.05. And joining us now here as we kind of continue our Radio Row at home version of the show this week is our friend Ryan Rossillo, UVM graduate, former ESPN radio host, the ringer personality now, host of the Ryan Rossillo show and one of the more accomplished people in sports media. Ryan, thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. Help us uh, continue the conversation we were just having. I am so uninterested in the uh, LeBron versus Jordan debate, but I am interested in this. What story arc do you consider more impressive? The out-of-nowhere underdog story that is Tom Brady or the has-all-the-expectations-hits-them-and-exceeds-them LeBron James? Well, I mean, that's a good one. You know, there are different sports in the sense that I always think it's kind of funny, like the pride football people have about football as opposed to like, there's a lot of basketball people that argue the same stuff. You know, and granted, I know what the ratings are and all that stuff, but there's also... You know, part of the ratings is because it's the exclusivity of the product. You know, there's not 82 of these games and on one day every day. So anyway, the point is, is like, there's no version of that for the 199th player pick, but end up being the best player of all time in basketball. Like it just, it just wouldn't happen. Um, but that's quarterbacking half the first round picks are busts. It gets even worse after that. Uh, basketball drafts, it stars far better than, than football does. And I, I don't know if it's because 
one group is better than the other. It's just kind of what the sport is. So when you think about LeBron and the size, the vision, like all of this stuff, like when he won his first title, I think it was the first one where he's like, I'm just, I'm not even supposed to be here. And we're like, I don't know, dude, you kind of look like you belong out there. Um, <laughs> pretty good chance. If you, if you put the time in with your physical gifts and size, that you're probably going to be pretty good at basketball. So, um, that part, you know, it makes it sound like I'm diminishing, you know, again, one of the most accomplished players. And by the time it's over, maybe the most accomplished player of all time, whereas Brady, you know, it's just, you want to talk about somebody who's not supposed to be here. He go that late in the draft. People didn't like him coming out. The physical gifts uh, really weren't there. Oddly, he just became a, a stronger um, and, and more. He was he became like three different quarterbacks over the course of his career. Yeah. I mean, that first playoff run, he only had one touchdown pass in those three games. The Oakland game, he got hurt against Pittsburgh, and then in the Super Bowl, he had one. So it wasn't like he was lighting it up. As your listeners know, you go back 20 years, he was a game manager, and then he became somebody who could like hang with Peyton Manning statistically if he wanted to. So I probably lean towards Brady being the more, you know, Disney kind of story where it's this guy comes out of nowhere and does what he does, but it's not to diminish. Well, I think the two, I think we're talking about two athletes that are the best, best in team sports over the course of their careers, which is 20 years. Celtics are going to take on the Sixers tonight, continuing the NBA conversation, and they're doing that with the best record in the NBA. That said, the trade deadline is tomorrow. We've heard the rumors about them shopping maybe Danilo Gallinari and Peyton Pritchard, et cetera. They probably can't get a lot for that package, but what are you hearing about the Celtics? What do you think they need, if anything? I think everybody wants wings and they want shooting. So if somebody like Jared Interbelt, Utah, is kind of in limbo there, part of the whole favorite package who I really like. Like that's the kind of player a lot of people would love to have. I don't think they'd be able to have anybody for him because the Celtics the big problem that they have is that you know the players that play in their regular eight man rotation are all really good. Um, you know, the Derek White trade has been terrific and that pushes somebody like Peyton Pritchard down. The Gallinari thing was probably a bit too much health risk combined with the Brogdon health risk, but if Brogdon stays healthy, you know, that price is either going to be way too much or not even close enough because of his track record with his health. So they have a really good team. They have a really deep team. Maybe they're the best in the league. It feels that way at times. But when you start trying to figure out how you're going to outbid other teams with Peyton Pritchard and an injured Dylan Ballinari, which is basically the salary filler, then it comes down to like what kind of price they want to pay in picks. And what I like about what Brad Stevens does, you know, if they've got the pick wrong, they're like, you know what? Like, we'll use a first if we're good. A first that might be in the 20s for somebody like Eric White. Or there's a swap come later on. So who knows what that'll end up being. Uh, I, I think the league has started just giving these first away. Like I used to think they were kind of overrated. Now it almost feels like they're underrated because the return rate on them actually still isn't that good. It just sounds cool when you add first. So if they're going to be in the competitive market for a wing, or you know, we've heard them connected to Yaka Pertle forever. I think Andre Drummond would be in play. I'm sure Chicago would find a way, but I don't think Pritchard does enough for you to add a rotation uh, player to a team that that probably has one of the strongest. Well, doesn't probably has one of the strongest ones or eight, one through nine in the NBA. So their problems are much better problems than some of these other contenders. They're just trying to add to an already really good group. I just don't know if they can go deep enough into the draft pick stuff again other teams because it feels like there's just so many buyers right now, not, not as many sellers. The Peyton Pritchard story is fascinating to me because I'm always interested in what motivates players, particularly young players. And Pritchard's on the record, and he said it recently to the Boston Globe that he wants to play and he wants to play more. So on one hand, I get it. Like, you know, hey, go get yours and put up stats and make money or whatever. On the other hand, it's like, 
you're on the best team in the NBA right now. That sounds a little selfish. What do you what do you make when you hear guys on good teams that aren't happy with their role? We, we heard this from Terry Rozier a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think you kind of have to have a little bit of a standing for me to hear about it all that much. You know, uh, yeah. I like Peyton. I think he's had kind of a tough run of it because he may completely banished him in the beginning. And then it was like, hey, you know what? We got this guy here is actually pretty good. Really good shooter. And handle a little bit more than you think. Um, and then it was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's actually pretty good. And then, you know, you bring in Brogdon after you brought in White. And you're like, okay. Or my minutes. It felt like Hauser was getting his minutes in for a stretch because Hauser actually holds up there defensively. Um, and the other problem is that usually the Celtics have something you don't really want to attack the defense. I mean, unless you get Rob Williams in the switch, you know, he's brutal with help. Horford's not necessarily somebody that, you know, you can just get by. The wings are really good. Smart holds up. Um, so, you know, when Pritchard's out for some of those other guys, they can get a little worse because he's getting attacked because there's such a drop off. Not that he's atrocious. It's just that he's the weakest link of all those people out there. So I totally get it. He's worried, like every guy that gets trapped and looks like he's going to play for a while, they're really worried about that second contract. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, none of this is surprising. It's just, if you keep hearing it too much from somebody who's the ninth or tenth guy, that's when it can become a problem. I'm not saying that's what it is yet, but, you know, it's just my personal preference at some point. I'd be like, hey, this team's shooting for a championship. Not worried about where the extension is going to be right now. It makes all the sense in the world. Like the guy has kind of gone in and out of the rotation, and I don't think it's, it's terrible. I think it's just a minutes crunch. Ryan Rosillo, the Ringer uh, podcast host, the host of the Ryan Rosillo Show, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. You know, we have, in addition to him just being the Celtics head coach, we have a uh, affection for Joe Missoula. His brother Justin was a starter for UVM the last couple of years here. And uh, how much credit should Joe Missoula be getting for Celtics' success, or is it just as simple as you've got Tatum, Brown, and Horford, and you're really good without the coach? Yeah, I, look, I think coaches can screw it up more than they can prop you up to a level that you couldn't get to without them. Like I'm much like people want to blame the coaches all the time. I just don't really like doing that. But for the same reason, like I just think it's about the players. Like nobody wins championships in this league unless they have a couple of those special guys. And the Celtics have a couple of those special guys. I think what Mozilla deserves a lot of credit for is that through all the, you know, it's clear the players didn't want to lose Yudoka. Um, you know, they were, they were sort of, I think private, I don't know if it was private or not. They were kind of letting you know a little bit like, Hey, we're a little annoyed by the situation, not being told what's going on, but that was the way that it was going to be handled. Cause I think that's the way it needed to be handled at that time. So the fact that you know, they get off to this great start, they had a weird offensive dip there for what felt like six weeks where all of a sudden nobody could make a shot in comparison to how well they were shooting at the first month of the season. But you know, the whole collective of it, that they had this best record, that, you know, they feel like as good a bet as anybody to win a championship. I think he deserves a ton of credit because there's no way you can do that job without getting through it that first year, realizing things you wish you had done differently. It's just anything that's important, you have to do it. And then you look back and go, okay, what would I have changed? He's doing that while also having this, this really good basketball team. So that part of it, I think he deserves a lot of credit for as far as like specifically night to night. Ooh, I didn't like that. I you know. It's like baseball managers. If you watch your team's season, if you watch 162, you're going to find a couple of things that you don't like or wish you did differently. And I don't think any coach is immune to it. So overall, I think it's a great grade for them because they just kept the ship here steady after what looked like a really controversial start to the season with the coaches. 
UVM product Anthony Lamb has turned himself into a uh, relatively nice rotation piece for the Golden State Warriors. Now, he hasn't played the last three games. He certainly cooled a little bit from his uh, hot streak there in December and early January. But uh, what do you make of Lamb's kind of NBA run and kind of, again, turning himself into a useful rotational player for a good team? Yeah, that's the most amazing part about this is that he has, you know, one point there, he had three lottery guys you couldn't get into the regular rotation and Kerr was going with him. At first, I kind of wondered, I, wait, are they dealing this to mess with the other guys? <laughs> and you kept watching the games and you just think, you know, Lamb moves the ball. He's really smart. Like all the stuff that he was really good in college, you're like, man, he can kind of do everything, run the offense through him. And, and some of the mistakes you can make in the evaluation is that you'll look at him and go, okay, well, how many teams are going to let him go ahead and do these things? Well, the answer is not zero. No NBA team is going to go, let's have the offense run through Anthony Lamb. It's just not going to happen. The thing about him having all those responsibilities in college is that he knew kind of like, how do I become the best player to play alongside the better options? And that's what's uh, you know huge credit to his basketball IQ is that he very quickly realized, okay, what style of player do I need to be to be the person the other guys like playing with? And with Golden State, you have to keep moving. You play to the end of the shot clock. You have to be ready positionally and defensively. You know, there's a, there's a huge there's a huge amount of responsibility and young players are in that Golden State rotation. And the funny thing is he, he figured it out and became more trusted quicker than the other, other guys with massive profiles. So, you know, I don't think they're going to start punting on all these lottery guys that are only a couple years in the league because Lamb has been so steady. Um, but it, it was it wasn't anything than other than just a real appreciation for him understanding what he was supposed to do and not trying to do the things he knew he wasn't supposed to do. And that's why I think a really established team left playing with him so much. So it's a huge credit to him. It's a great like evolution story in a very short amount of time. Um, and I'm I'm really blown away by the whole thing. I mean, we knew we knew the guy could play, but he was kind of this odd fit. How good of an athlete is he going to be? What is he going to be allowed to do? Is he going to be able to adapt to it all? And he did it. He, I mean, he did it all in a really, like, there's plenty of teams that stink that he probably could have gotten buckets for, but he's doing it for a team that's still playing for something despite the frustration with their own injuries and their own record. Brian Rosillo, UVM grad himself, and a uh, host on the Ringers podcast channel. It's the Ryan Rosillo Show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're traveling a bunch this week. I think you're probably in Phoenix right now for the Super Bowl. So assuming you are, enjoy the game. I'm sure you'll be out on Radio Row. Find the good food, and uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Thanks, Ben. Enjoy the game. All right, I will do that. That's Ryan Rosillo. Uh, a late ad here to the Brady Farkas show. We're pumped to have him. Love having Ryan on. Nobody knows basketball that I know better than Ryan Rosillo does. Good stuff there about Lamb if you're a UVM fan. Good stuff on Peyton Pritchard's attitude. I do think that, that is fascinating. Rosillo's like, I don't like to hear it unless you're more established. Um, a lot of stuff to, to get to and react to there. We got so many guests today in such a short show. I'm probably going to have to cut it up and talk about it more tomorrow as the trade deadline for the NBA is tomorrow. And good stuff there on the kind of LeBron and Brady story arc. And Rosillo's right. The Brady story is more of the Disney story, right? The underdog story, the come from behind story. I'm with him on that. But I think the LeBron story just might be more impressive. Now, again, Rosillo's right. LeBron looked the part, right? LeBron looked the part. Brady never looked the part, so it took him a lot of work. I give I give Rosillo credit for that, too. He's got me waffling a bit. I just think when you come in with a ton of pressure and you hit every benchmark and you exceed every benchmark, there's something special about that. CBS News and then Tom Karen is going to join us next here on Radio Row at Home. Brady Farkas showing the EV. 
Welcome back in. Brady first show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. This is the weirdness and wildness of Super Bowl week. I had been trying to get Rosillo all week. He and I are going back and forth. We're ironing out times. I kind of thought it wasn't going to happen today. And then all of a sudden he hits me up at like 520. Hey, still got time. I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, maybe 545, maybe six. Okay. So we get it ironed out, and, uh, you know, it's well worth it. But, uh, you know, I hate not knowing things. I hate not knowing the schedule of what I'm bringing you. But Rosillo called in there. He was awesome. Good perspective. Good perspective on the Celtics, on Joe Missoula. Sees will take on the Sixers tonight. I'm looking forward to that game as well. Um, the LeBron and Brady story arc is still fascinating to me, as is the Peyton Pritchard story arc and his attitude. And, I want to talk about it. We're going to have to do it tomorrow. TC is going to be here in just a couple of minutes. Bill Curry, or the former UVM baseball coach, is going to be with us, too, at 625 or so. He's the last uh, head coach in the history of the UVM program. He still coaches right now at Fairfield. I got to ask you, as we talk about LeBron and his accomplishments, and I think about Tom Brady and his accomplishments, did you hear what former NFL quarterback Trent Dilfer said yesterday? Dilfer, who won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, he's now the football coach at Alabama, Birmingham. Did you hear what he said yesterday about kind of football players in the modern era? Modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love these guys. It's not impressive. Okay. 802-585-3026. Trent Dilfer says Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, what they have done, does not impress him. Is this old man, get off my lawn, it was better in my day, typical stuff? Or does Trent Dilfer have a point? That's what I ask you. 802-585-3026. You're not going to like my answer on this. I hate straddling the fence. I'm straddling the fence on this one. I think Trent Dilfer is both right and wrong in this one. Trent Dilfer is right in this sense. Most sports these days are easier to play and are easier to perform in and put up numbers. And that's true. He's right. He is not wrong about that. It sounds get off my lawn-ish. He's not wrong in that. Quarterback has more protection. Receivers have more protection. Defense can't do as much. There's a 17th game now, so there's more opportunity to pile up numbers, more opportunity to get games played. Better high school coaches, better college coaches, more seven-on-seven stuff, more exposure to the game. Guys play earlier. It's certainly easier to make a mark now in football and quarterback than it was back in the day. It's way easier to score in hockey than it used to be. It's way easier to score in basketball than it used to be. We have the three-point line now. There's a philosophical shift towards three-pointers. The schedule is easier on players now. Players have better recovery, less hand-checking, etc. So Trent Dilfer is right. Sports are easier today in a lot of ways than they used to be. But that said... Trent Dilfer is also wrong and that the modern athlete also has disadvantages they have to overcome that the guys back in the day never had. The opponents are better than they've ever been before. The athletes now in every sport are genetically engineered to be great. Competition is higher than it's ever been. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wasn't playing against the guys LeBron's playing against. Okay, Gordy Howe wasn't playing against the guys that Gretzky was playing against. 
and Gretzky's not playing against the guys necessarily that Ovechkin's playing against. The athletes are in the social media age now. They're in the media age in general. So it's a different time. Some things are easier. Some things are harder. I asked Freddie Coleman to respond to Trent Dilfer's comments. He won't even go there. It's impossible to compare errors to what quarterbacks are doing now to what quarterbacks did before, what wide receivers are doing now to what wide receivers are doing before. And that's why I stay out of the whole conversation. To say that it's easier for Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, I thought he was completely off base because more than ever before, you have so many defense that can disguise things. You have defense bringing pressure, get the ball to your hands. You got man-to-man coverage concept that they do on the defensive side of things. You got to adjust the line protections at the line of scrimmage that quarterbacks a lot of times did not have to do in Trent Dilfer's day. So I didn't understand why he felt the need. Interesting there by Freddie, too. He's right. The quarterbacks, maybe it is easier from a rules perspective, but they do have more responsibilities. So it's interesting. It is a little get off my lawn. I think Dilfer has a bit of a point, though. To say that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers don't impress you, though, that 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 is too far. They are impressive. Their longevity is per, their longevity, their commitment, their training, their skill set, their minds. All of that is impressive. Yes, they get some breaks that other quarterbacks didn't. That Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, John Elway didn't get. That hundred percent true. But to say that what Brady does, Rodgers does, is not impressive, I'm not buying that. There are some advantages that they have. Other guys didn't. There is also some disadvantages as well. Tom Karen is joining us now here. He's with us every single Wednesday on the Brady Farkas show. TC, I'm talking about these Trent Dilfer comments. Old man, get off my lawn, or does he have a point? You heard what he said. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. <clears throat> but what the reason I discount that is that while the rules have changed and the games have all been adjusted to create more offense and whatever – I, I don't care what Trent Dilfer says. These guys are playing against athletes who continue to get bigger and stronger and faster every year, right? I mean, go back 20 years, then go back 40 years, then go back 60 years. The, the, the strides that have been made in strength training and the knowledge of the human body and the sports science, you know, fine, the rules change. But, but you know, guys 20 years ago didn't have uh, the size and speed of defenders coming at them that they do now. So if you want to go with one, you better mention the other uh, because these guys are doing it against freakishly uh, talented athletes who have been engineered uh, to, to do superhuman things. Tom Karen, Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas show yesterday or last week, rather I started to get into some spring training logistics and some questions I have uh, this year. What do we know about JetBlue Park and everything? The, the big hurricane last fall. Was everything okay in Fort Myers in general? No, uh, but everything's okay at JetBlue Park. And, and and so I've talked to a lot of people about that. And, and a lot of it we won't know till we get on the ground. And, and when we talk next week, I'll be there. Uh, but it's 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 very you know it's very point specific. It's it's you go ten miles one way, you will see devastation. You go ten miles the other way, everything is normal. Uh, there was some minor damage at the ballpark, uh, mostly cosmetic padding and lighting that was that was blown away and ripped up. That's all been repaired. Uh, some of the damage was done after the fact. Um, FEMA and some of the emergency crews use the area around JetBlue Park as a staging area because they have so much parking and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but that's all, it's all been repaired. I'm told that when you're at the, the ballpark, it'll, it'll everything will seem normal. But again, 
go over to Fort Myers Beach and and literally places that I've been going for 25 years, uh, restaurants and 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 bars and and just sightseeing stops. I mean, they're they're gone. I mean, literally gone. That that yeah. Fort Myers Beach was just wiped out. Uh, a lot of the places that are still there are still dealing with with damage. Um, down Naples Way, there's a lot of damage. Bonita Springs, uh, which is an area we spent a lot of time at, uh, kind of uh, towards Naples, uh, I've been told there's lots of devastation still there. So uh, there's no doubt that's going to be a story hanging over that part of spring training this year. Uh, a lot of residences have been affected. I'm told it's tough. I, I booked my hotels months ago, but I'm told that can be tough right now because contractors have just set up there for months to get work done. Uh, I, I don't know the extent of the damage other than what I've been told, and, and I, you know, I'm certainly going to find out when we get down there. Any big spring training plans on Nesson I should get excited about now? A couple of years ago, you know, we had... I don't know, Red Sox players playing cornhole and all these kind of fun games. Then we had COVID and all that had to stop. Now that we're fully back again this year, what exactly are we doing on Nesson coverage-wise? Yeah, our shows begin next Monday. Uh, Jemai Webster will host the first couple of shows uh, while I do the bean pot, and then I get down there and take over when pitchers and catchers work out on Wednesday. Uh, I, you know, no games this year in, in some ways, uh, we talked a lot about that it, the combination of the fact that there is still, you know, damage and stuff down there. We want to be maybe a little more somber in our early coverage. The fact that there are a lot of players, I, again, you can hate this team. You could say they've, they've, uh, they've totally messed things up. But I, I, I want to get to know this team, and, and I think that's going to kind of be the theme of our early uh, weeks, uh, our coverage, uh, is who are these guys? What does Justin Turner and Kenley Jansen expect to bring to this team? What does Casa's bigger role looks like? Uh, what is Raphael Devers the leader like? What can Verdugo, who is Yoshida? I mean, there's a lot of Who's the catcher? I mean, there's just a lot of question marks more than usual around this team. So it's going to be a lot of get to know these guys, get to know the expectations, get to know the vibe. Uh, workouts begin Wednesday, a week from today, uh, for pitchers and catchers. And then uh, that nine days later, ten days later, you've got a game against Northeastern, uh, and you get right up. I, I will say, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to give away. I actually don't know what we've announced yet, but <laughs> all, we're, doing a, we're doing a lot of games. We're doing uh, as many spring training games as I remember in my uh, over 20 years uh, with the team. And, and the reason is for uh, – there's a couple of reasons, I think. Uh, a, it's the whole get to know these guys, and I think spring training is a good place to do that. B, uh, it's going to give the viewer and the broadcasters a chance to get to know the new rules. And I think mm -hmm. that's the headline story. Like, how – you know – we get a lot of commercials and a lot of promos and a lot of things to get in. How do we do that when the guy's getting in thrown at 15 mm. seconds? Uh, how, sure. how, you know, what's the pace of that? What's Jemai Webster going to do if we got no time to go down to him? Mm. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be really interesting. We've talked about this before. The, the World Baseball Classic Games not using those rules. So those rules, even more important when a guy like Kike Hernandez comes back or Kaylee Jansen. Now, Kaylee Jansen is going to play for the Netherlands. Uh, he was one of the slowest pitchers in baseball last year. So one would think he really needs to work to those rules. But but the, the Dutch World Baseball Classic team opens in Taiwan. If they win, I think they go to Tokyo for the next round. So And none of those games are going to be played with a pitch clock. Uh, so I think that's a significant story for one of the best closers in the game, coming to a new team with new rules, not getting much of a chance. 
to work his way through that. So I, I'm just I'm really curious about the spring training, and and I will tell you, we're going to do a lot of games. I'm getting to do some play by play. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, looking forward to that coverage at Nesson again. TC will be down there next week when we speak, but right now he's still from the comforts of the New England abodes, and here on the Brady Farka Show and WDEV, Kike Hernandez, you mentioned, made some interesting waves yesterday. He was on the Chris Rose podcast through uh, John Boy Media and said that he helped recruit Justin Turner to. Boston, and we knew that, but part of the reason he wanted Justin Turner is because he thought the clubhouse needed kind of a makeover. And that's interesting to me because J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts are kind of universally lauded for their leadership skills. So what exactly was wrong with last year's team that Kike thought they needed to change? Yeah, and I don't. I, I think you got to separate those two. I don't think Bogarts, I mean, everybody loves, everybody loves Bogarts' leadership. I think TK's point was probably that Bogarts was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the leadership now? Kenny Martinez is an interesting cat. I, I think he's a leader, but he's a leader in a very different way. He's a leader in, in you know, he's a hitting savant. I mean, I you know, again, the bag of, of, of tools he brings out uh, onto the field. Uh, nobody, when he first got here in Boston, I remember Mookie Betts just looking at him like, what, he throws a Frisbee and he's got Nerf things and he's got all these, you know, and he videos every single swing he takes. That's well known by now, right? Even in the cage, they are, there was a guy whose job was to make sure the iPad was on when he was swinging in batting practice so that J.D. Martinez could take that video and send it back to his hitting guru on the West Coast, and they could talk about what he's doing right and what he's doing wrong. So, I, again, I don't know if TK's hinting towards that, that that was a negative thing, but but J.D. Martinez was a different guy. Uh, you know, Matt Barnes was a leader in that bullpen, but had gone through a lot of struggles and adversity. So I, I think when you bring in a, a Justin Turner, this is a guy who was the heart and soul of that Dodgers dynasty for, for years. And uh, it's just, you know, again, Roberto Clemente award winner last year. So one of the, the most uh, respected leaders in the game, I think, you know, guys like him. And I, I really do. I, I again, I, I, I try to resist saying it because it sounds like I'm saying they're going to win the World Series. And I don't think they are. OK, but what what they're doing here reminds me so much of what I saw in the spring of 2013. Now, mm-hmm. forget the lightning in a the bottle they caught in October that year. OK, but. But I've said this to you before, you know, Napoli and 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 Victorino and Johnny Gomes and Ryan Dempster were all older veterans on short term deals, all of whom brought leadership skills from different organizations to the Red Sox and kind of kind of rebooted the culture. I think you're going to get that out of Turner and Duval and Jansen and some of these guys, even Kike Hernandez, who's back, but he signed a one year deal. I mean, these are short term veteran guys who are going to, you know, and again, what it means on the field remains to be seen, but I can tell you what it means in the clubhouse is all of a sudden, this isn't just some young guys in Boston growing into their own. This is a group of guys who have won championships and been really important part of big franchises elsewhere who are now all coming back into one place to try to reboot this team. Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider over at Nesson. No Bruins hockey until the weekend. Come out of the All Star break, and we haven't had hockey in forever. I kind of wish their bye well, week was well, in. Well, we had the bean pot on. That's Monday true. Now. Let's not, you know, don't give me this. We haven't had hockey. It was a great event, as always. <laughs> the Harvard BC first game, as always, uh, out of control. Uh, uh, Merrick Hayduke looking like his father. Uh, Milan Hayduke uh, winning uh, the game with 1.5 seconds left in overtime. Thank God, because we would have had the first ever shootout in Beanpot history. <laughs> disgusting. Uh, and now, 
and and now not that I, I mean I don't know if anybody cares in Vermont, but seventy years they have played the bean pot. Seventy years, same four teams since nineteen fifty two, and for the first time ever, it's Harvard and Northeastern in the final. That's incredible to me. BC and BU has been in sixty nine consecutive championships. I'm not very good at math, but I bet the probability on that not have happening already would be very, very low. So, right. DC, so enjoy. Good one. Monday. That's Monday at the Garden. The championship Tuesday. I'm out of here. We had stuff. Well, we will talk to you from Fort Myers next week. Look forward to it. Enjoy the rest of the bean pot and uh, safe travels. We'll talk in seven days. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it as well. Um, a lot of good stuff there from TC as always. Just a couple of minutes left. Um, Kike Hernandez says the Red Sox needed a culture change. I know TC seems to think it's not a big deal. It's not a shot at someone. Maybe it's not a shot, but it does feel like a big deal. When there's an acknowledgement that the clubhouse wasn't right last year, that piques my interest. I want to know why the clubhouse wasn't right last year. They, I mean, this team had veteran leaders. Nathan Evaldi, Michael Walker, Rich Hill were on that pitching staff. There should have been leadership there. The... Offense had Kike, Bogarts, Martinez, Christian Vasquez for more than half the season. It feels like the clubhouse shouldn't have been as disjointed or as bad as Kike kind of leads me to believe that it was. TC again says that's not maybe not as big a deal as it sounds. I no, I think it was a pretty big deal. When Kike Hernandez says, like, we need a culture change, I'm wondering why was the culture bad? I'm wondering why was the culture bad? Now, this team does look like it will have good leadership. Turner, Jansen, they look like they'll be a big part of that. We'll see what happens. This team gets to spring training again next week. Uh, I want to update you on this UVM women's basketball, that big game against Maine right now. Both teams, eight and two inside America East play. UVM up 19 to seven at the end of the first quarter. Catamounts up 19 to seven, nine of 15 from the floor, 60% overall. Maine is just three of 15 at 20%. It's a big matchup. And right now it's going UVM's way. Catamounts looking to win nine straight games inside conference play. And the men will take the floor tonight against Maine at seven. That comes up about 40 minutes from now. We're going to talk next with Bill Courier, the last baseball coach at the University of Vermont. The final one, and now the head coach at Fairfield University in Connecticut, Bill Courier. This will be a fun listen. He's a good guy. We'll do it next here on DEV. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about mine. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Just one segment left. Reminder, high school basketball coming up here, 645, Brent Curtis on the call of that one. Good to be back into the high school swing of things tonight. We'll do so tomorrow as well in the Norwich Hockey on Friday. I know it's Super Bowl week, and obviously we've talked a lot of football today about the Tom Brady stuff. We talked a lot yesterday with Joe Valerio, the former Chiefs offensive lineman. But as I told you, at Radio Row at home, we can go in whatever direction we want to. Our goal is to talk to interesting and locally relevant people. And there might be nobody more interesting and locally relevant than our next guest. We're going to go out to the phone line now and bring on Bill Courier. Bill Courier was the last baseball coach at the University of Vermont. When they cut the program, he was the head coach, winningest manager in UVM baseball history. He's still coaching, though. He is now the head coach 
at Fairfield University in the MAC Conference in Connecticut. He's had them nationally ranked. He's won NCAA tournament games with them. Bill Courier with us on the phone line now. Bill, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me, Brady. You know, I was doing, you know, we've talked before. I was doing some more research, though, and I got to figure out the answer to this question. You got your master's at Western Carolina in the mid-'80s. Todd Raleigh, another Vermonter, a guy we've gotten to know well, he played at Western Carolina and then coached there, but after you. What was the Vermont to Western Carolina mid-'80s connection? Well, the connection to all of it is Jack Leggett, uh, who was the coach at Western Carolina before he went to Clemson. There you go. And, uh, he certainly had, had brought in uh, – I was there, I believe, his fourth year uh, when he was at Western Carolina as a grad assistant. And that was the first year we won the Southern Conference Championship. Um, so I don't let him forget that, that it, it took another <laughs> Vermont assistant coach to really win the big one. So and- that's a connection. We had a, a number of players from Vermont down there. And it's all because, you know, Leggett's from Vermont. So he drew a lot of coaches and players. So Todd Raleigh becomes eventually the head coach at Western Carolina. Then he goes on to Tennessee. And Todd is the uh, the Swanton, Vermont native. You ended up on his staff before you got to Fairfield for a year. Yeah, after uh, the program was dropped at, at UVM uh, in the year interim, um, I went down there actually for half a year and uh, was the volunteer assistant under Todd. And then I got the Fairfield job later that summer. Well, just a very cool, uh, you know, Vermont tie-ins all around college baseball. You're entering, by the way, it's not quite 35, but it's almost 35 years as a Division I head coach. And certainly the most successful coach in Fairfield history, the winningest coach in UVM history. I guess my question is, why do you still want to do it? I enjoy it. You know, it keeps me young. And what's what's better than hitting fungos and throwing batting practice and 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 managing ball games? You know, with college kids that are, you know, they're they're, they're good kids. I've been very fortunate to to Bennett, Vermont, where the kids are pretty bright and uh, brought up well, and they're easy to manage. Uh, other than a few instances, of course, as they're eighteen to twenty two, but here at Fairfield, again, it's been a, a you know, it's it, it's. It's a good age to coach, and, and the kids are young men and, and making them into leaders and, and helping them to be better than they ever thought they could be is, is certainly a joy, and I, I still enjoy it uh, quite a bit. Your season starts February 17th here, so we're inside 10 days for your team here. You guys are going to take on Coastal Carolina. How has, uh, how has college baseball changed? Maybe not in the entirety of the 30. 30- plus years you've been coaching, but how has it changed recently? Because it seems to be there's always some changes. Yeah, the, the biggest change just, just as of late is the transfer portal. Uh, yeah. The NCAA allows a, a one-time transfer uh, to any player can go anywhere. So um, that that really makes a big difference. A lot of the big schools are are picking off uh, some of the best talent in, in, in the leagues, maybe just a little below them. And they're picking them off and filling holes and loading their team up with an older team, which doesn't do a lot for the freshmen and sophomores young in the program. Um, so it, it, it makes a big difference. Uh, it really does. 
I wish baseball had changed to its level now a little bit earlier. Otherwise, then I would have had a better career. When I got to college, we had the BB core bat. This is inside baseball talk, but whatever. The deadened bat, which helped the pitchers. But when I was in high school, we had the live bat, so I was giving up bombs left and right. I would have gotten recruited potentially by you if I had uh, had the deadened bats when I was in high school. I missed that by a few years. No, the bats, the bats are they're not as active. You're right as when you you played, but. Uh, you know, the the biggest difference is that is the older kids that are hanging around. The draft now is only 20 rounds. So yeah. there's a, yeah. a lot of real good players in college that are not being drafted that are going Build. back to school. And we got one more year of the COVID year uh, babies here. The COVID year <laughs> kids are seniors right now in, in college. And, and you know, we got a, we got seven of them on our team, and they got another year uh, if they'd like. After that, it goes back to the normal – uh, four years, unless you get hurt, you get a fifth year. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we've enjoyed that also, the the fifth-year guys coming back, so you get them another year, unless they got drafted like we had a pitcher this past year drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays. Hmm. Bill Currier, Fairfield University baseball coach, former UVM baseball coach, Vermont native, Essex Junction. What was it like growing up in Vermont? You know, we hear so much about, or I hear it all the time, about how Vermont high school sports isn't as good. There's not as many opportunities this, that, or the other. What was it like for you growing up in Vermont? You ended up getting drafted by the Phillies. You know, it it was uh, tough to get looked at a little more back when I played, uh, but uh, certainly in uh, – uh, Dickie Smullen actually, uh, he, he's passed now, but Dick was a, a, a bird dog scout with the LA Dodgers and knew a lot of pro people. And he said, look, there's some people up here in Kirk McCaskill and Jeff Green and Bill Currier and a few others. You ought to come up here and take a look at these guys. And and that was kind of, you know, the call signal to, hey, there's some talent up here. You ought to come take a look at it. And lo and behold, I mean, McCaskill goes in the fourth round. I go in the sixth round. And Green goes in the uh, Jeff Green goes in the 19th round. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, draw from those people coming out of here. And then Dan Gasparino, our catcher on our team, went in like the 40th round uh, his senior year. So um, so that, that was nowadays there's PBR uh, that is everywhere. Uh, it's hard to to get hidden. Really, there's so many showcases uh, all over the Northeast. So. Uh, pretty much, it, it's hard to hard to hide talent anymore. So we have a kid signed. He was here this past weekend. Ben Alexson from People's Academy lives up in yeah. Stowe. He's a probably be the I think he'd be the best pitcher in the state this year. And this kid we're real excited about getting. And and I haven't gotten many Vermont kids mm-hmm. to come down here and play. And and he's he's certainly a good one. We're excited about him becoming a stag couple of kids also at Manhattan from CVU, a couple of lefty pitchers out at Manhattan. So the Mac is making its way into Vermont. And then, you know, last year, not this past summer, the year before that, uh, Owen Kellington gets drafted in the third round out of uh, U32, gets drafted by the Pirates and signs with them. So now we're at the point where high school Vermonters are getting drafted. And that's kind of another step in the evolution of baseball in the state. Yeah, it is. And he was going to UConn before yep. he uh, signed. So and the connection certainly in Manhattan was my old assistant, Mike Cole, who was oh. a, a ex-captain at UVM for me and then an assistant coach for me for years. So uh, there's always a connection <laughs> in getting back up there and seeing the Vermont kids. And Sienna's close to Albany's close to Vermont. I know Tony Rossi's had a few Vermonters on his team, too. So there's certainly talent there, and it, it, it doesn't go unlooked anymore, and it's a lot easier to get showcased and seen. 
you know, you get asked all the time about the bring it back movement, and I try not to belabor it with you every time I talk to you, but the audience likes to hear it. So I guess I'll just ask you a variation of that question. The weather is certainly the thing now that people say, ah, it's not worth bringing back because the weather's too bad. As someone who's still coaching in the Northeast and who coached here, how big an issue and an impediment is the weather? The weather's not a not an impairment. It, it has nothing to do with it. The weather's been the same pretty much for 100 years, so uh, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just a question of uh, uh, the athletic directors and what do they want to emphasize. And, and uh, a place like UVM with a gorgeous ballpark doesn't have a New York Penn League team there, but now they have a futures team that that is one of the best franchises in the in the uh, in the in the league in the futures league, and they are. Uh, you know, that, that's a beautiful ballpark should still have a college team. And, you know, the weather, everybody in the Northeast goes South for a few weeks anyway, uh, and then comes back and starts their, their season up North. So nothing's changed. It's just the attitude of, of who's in charge and what emphasis they want to make. You know, let me get you out of here on a non-baseball question because we are also your home for Norwich Cadets Hockey here on WDEV and have been for a number of years. Your son Bryce played at Norwich, so your memories of watching him uh, play at Kreitzberg Arena and maybe listen to some games on WDEV back in the day, but your your memories of Norwich Hockey. Yeah, it, it's a great memory because, you know, what's funny is is, is Bryce just coached a te- the team on this past Friday <laughs> that went over Southern Maine, I believe, and they uh, – they had another assistant coach ahead COVID. So uh, Cam didn't have uh, an assistant coach. So he reached back and, and asked Bryce if he'd come back for a game or two. And, uh, and the, the, the assistant coach that had COVID tested negative the next day. Uh, and he didn't coach Saturday with a win over, uh, I believe. Uh, Babson. Babson. So, uh, you know, so it was, it, it was kind of cool to see him back on the bench and, <laughs> You know, we talked to him after the game, and I said, how'd it feel? And he goes, it was awesome. You know, it felt like I was back again, and, and it was fun. You know, it's too bad it's an hour from his home, which which certainly got him out of coaching pretty quick. Well, certainly. I remember I was the PA announcer at Kreitzburg for about a 10-game arc in 2013, so I remember uh, uh, yeah. announcing Bryce's name on the starting lineup uh, many, many times in that I season. guess the big highlight, Brady, was uh, it was uh, – um, uh, the big night for George Como, right? Yes, George Como night, our colleague here at WDEV, That's 25 great. years with Norwich. Oh, there's nobody better than George. I just remember him going doing the UVM games. Yeah. And he was phenomenal. Nobody was a better caller than him. And I told him many times that, George, you should have got into baseball. You could have been just like Tom Cheek of the old days from yep. he lived down the street for me. from me. He used to be the, the play-by-play for the uh, Blue Jays. Yes, so George, he did. George was way better, and George could have just uh, made quite a career, I thought, always in calling baseball games. He said he got close to going to Wisconsin to do football and hockey, but that was kind of the closest yeah. he ever came to actually leaving. Yeah. So to get the good ones out of the state sometimes. <laughs> Bill Courier, Fairfield baseball coach, former UVM baseball coach, played at UVM, Vermont native, and uh, proudly reps Vermont still to this day. Bill, we appreciate it. Best of luck. Your season begins February 17th, and we'll certainly be watching from afar. Thank you, Brady. Absolutely. I could talk with Bill Courier all day. I could talk baseball all day with anybody. I could really talk Vermont baseball, the whole scene with Bill Courier. Look, 
I didn't want to ask him over and over again about bring it back. He gets asked that all the time. Whenever he comes on in Vermont, that's all anybody ever wants to talk about. The only thing I wanted to ask him was how big a detriment is the weather to Northeastern baseball programs, right? He's going through that now at Fairfield. He deals with the weather being an issue in Connecticut, not as bad as he would up here as he did up here. But I wanted to know from his perspective how bad, it, how how big an impact is the weather. He says it's not an impact. I think it's an impact, but I do agree with him. It's more an excuse than anything, right? The, the program could exist if they wanted it to. Baseball exists at Albany, it exists in Fairfield, it exists at Maine, it exists at New Hampshire, it exists at Bryant. I mean, these New England schools have baseball. If they, if UVM wanted it, they could do it well. I think the weather is an issue, but I don't think that it is the ultimate issue. So, uh, you know, good stuff from Bill there. He says it's not a deal. Uh, that's not a deal breaker for the program. It's really about the administrators and certainly about money also. Uh, of course, how dumb am I to not realize the Western Carolina collection uh, connection rather is Jack Leggett. Jack Leggett, a guy we've talked to, right? I associate Jack Leggett, who's a uh, who's a Vermont native, as being the old Clemson baseball coach. But before that, he was at Western Carolina. So that's the genesis of Todd Raleigh and of Bill Currier all ending up there. And how cool that Bill Currier ended up on uh, on Todd Raleigh's staff. We're working, by the way. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we are working on getting Cal Raleigh on the show this week too. I know it's it's. Football week, but it seems to be some baseball great guests going on. we got a couple other things in the fire, but Cal Raleigh might be one of them. The son of Todd Raleigh, the Missiscoy uh, Valley Union High School product, the Swanton native, well, Todd Raleigh, or Cal Raleigh, his son, is uh, the catcher for the Mariners, hit the uh, game-winning home run that sent the Mariners to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years last year. So Cal Raleigh might be with us, kind of trending towards Friday, potentially. If it happens, it would be Friday. Um also very cool to hear Bill Currier reminisce about uh, hearing Norwich hockey games on the radio and George Como and Bryce Currier was an excellent player at Norwich, an excellent player. In that little arc I had is the is the uh, in you know in Kreitzberg Arena PA guy, Bryce Currier was in the starting lineup every one of those games. I think he was a freshman or a sophomore at that point, so he was really really good, really really impactful, and uh, good stuff to say there from Bill about George Como and. I have to ask Coach Ellsworth tomorrow about Bryce Courier coming out of retirement to moonlight as an assistant coach for one game. So uh, all kinds of good stuff there. Thanks to Bill Courier. Thanks to Tom Karen. Thanks to Freddie Coleman. All those interviews available after the show is over on our full show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. That's it for me. Two more days left of Radio Row at home right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.